0: And welcome back to the Accelerator. I am Michael Conniff. This is a new podcast dedicated to bringing entrepreneurs, founders, startups together with angels, investors, uh, venture capitalists. Anyone who is interested in watching the economy grow uh, in a in kind of in often a magnificent way. Uh, it's a story of of success and failure. We are always going to be rooting for entrepreneurs and and to that end i want to introduce um sarah white is an entrepreneur she's a co-founder of little bridges based in the uk coming to us from the south of france which sounds very glamorous uh and if there weren't a if there weren't a, a coronavirus i guess it would be glamorous but welcome to the show welcome to the thank show you, sarah. sarah thank
1: you so much for having yeah, me. yeah it's
0: great to have you now uh sarah and i met in a pitch, appropriately enough. I was a judge at the Unicorn Pitches for the UK. Sarah uh, won that competition. I gave her my highest score uh, and was very impressed with what she's doing. Um, the company is uh, Little Bridges, as I mentioned. And Sarah, um, tell us just in a nutshell, um, well, maybe I'll hold that for the pitch because I wanna I want to talk about um, a couple of things. One is you not only won the Unicorn, but you have since won won something else, some more uh, in your pitches. So give us the full pitch scorecard.
1: Sure. So um, since we met on the 30th of November, we have done two more pitch competitions, so three competitions in three weeks, and we have won every one of them. So we're finishing the year with a hat trick, which is – really, really great. And it gives us momentum going into the new year with our fundraise. So we are delighted well, with the outcomes of congratulations. that.
0: Congratulations. I think, I think your charisma has a lot to do with that. But, but, but let's you. see. Let's, let's put it to the test. Give us your pitch. Um, I should mention that uh, when we spoke, you were looking for a half a million to a million pounds, um, a small seed round. And, mm-hmm. um, and so with that in mind, go. Mm-hmm. You're on.
1: Fantastic. Okay, so at Littlebridge, we are reimagining social media for children. So here's the problem young children are online and they're accessing adult social media sites. We know this, the market leaders in social media know this, and yet they are consistently falling short when it comes to keeping kids safe online. And as adults, obviously, we're rightly concerned. And the current solutions, which are either stopping children from accessing social media or just making incremental adjustments to platforms designed for adults are just not good enough. And it's also not enough just to focus on the dangers of the internet. We actually need to teach children about being not just responsible, but also respectful and considerate when communicating online. So I think we all know that uh, adults behaving badly on Twitter now makes headline news every day. So we should really be doing something about that. Um, So creating social media for children really is an opportunity for us to deliver something positive and something that actually enriches children's lives and prepares them for the future. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're making social media for children internationally, aged six to 12, and it's a safe space with full moderation. And crucially, it uses a shared language, which is English. So our global platform allows children to connect safely and message each other with strict rules that promote kindness, and collaboration. Plus, by using the shared language, English, which is already the language of the internet, children can communicate with their peers all around the world. Critically, in what seems like an increasingly divisive world, facilitating diverse friendships between children across borders really is key to creating a harmonious and inclusive future. Mm -hmm. Should I carry on with our traction? Should should I keep keep going? Keep going, you're on a roll. Great. OK, so our first step, we've already delivered our platform. Excellent. All right. I mean, I could talk about Little Bridge all day. So <laughs> so our first step, we've been delivering our platform to institutions B2B. Uh, we released our, plat- our B2B platform in 2020. Uh, since then, we've partnered with major education organisations and governments all around the world with excellent outcomes. And also, um, along with these B2B partnerships, we've been winning various industry awards, which provide this foundation of credibility and trust for our platform, which obviously for a children's platform is absolutely crucial. So it's all going well, that's the story so far, but uh, what is next? Well, we want to build on this B2B business and launch a B2C model. We want to bring LittleBridge directly to families around the world. And to do that, we have a freemium and premium B2C model. It's important to note, before we go into how we're gonna make money off this, because we're not charity, we are, we are a business. Um, unlike other social media platforms, we do not generate revenues by advertising to children. That is just a hard no for us. So our free moon model is uh, access to our English speaking social media platform is free. And we have several ways of generating revenue. So firstly, We generate revenues by selling English language learning content to children who don't Mm. speak English as a first language, which is completely integrated into our platform. So obviously we have an English-speaking community, those children need to speak English, so we can sell them the content to facilitate that. Along with that, we also have plans to further diversify our revenues with additional um, B2C income, so selling non-learning content and also advertising but only to parents. So no advertising on the children's platform, we advertise to parents only on their own parent platform. The big question, and the question that Michael and I talked about after unicorn pictures was why English? In fact, we got a little bit heated on the unicorn (laughs) pictures about this, because English, what is the relation with, just a little bit, a little bit. Um, It's one of my favorite conversations to have. Why English? So obviously it's the language of the internet. We we know that it's also the language of um, many other industries such as technology, media, science, to name a few. Um, and we know there's a global demand for it. So by initially targeting English speakers in our B2C launch, our aim is to generate revenues by tapping into this demand. So we know, I mean, there's, there's what, eight billion people thereabouts on the planet? only 400 million of those speak English as a first language. So I know it can feel like we're in this English speaking world, but actually it's a minority of us that speak English as a first language and only about a billion speak English as a second language. So the vast majority of people do not speak English yet. We know there's this global demand for it. And we know that it's the language of these various growing industries. Um, and countries are investing a lot of money in increasing English proficiency in their populations, but there's still this shortage, something isn't working. And so the problem is when you try to get a six-year-old <laughs> to understand that English is an important life skill, they don't care, they're not interested. It does, It's not relevant to the life right now. So, and I mean, why should they care? Why, you know, it's, it's an adult world we're trying to explain to them. So what LittleBridge does is it creates the desire to learn English, which is the missing piece of the puzzle because we have tools to learn English and we have the need for English, but it's that desire to learn English. And that's what LittleBridge does. It creates the desire because kids in LittleBridge have to use English to communicate and make friends. So no English, no talking. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that fear of missing out that we can tap into.
0: So let me let so, me ask you a couple of things.
1: Which I think um, we, we talked a bit about
0: sorry we have a little bit of a delay here so so if we talk over each other it's not because we're being rude it's because we have a a bit of a delay between between france and long island um so um there's so much to chew on there i think um the the um i i don't want to focus on the language so much Mm -hmm. because i think the 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 um the fact is your co-founder you have a co-founder who is a linguist. Uh, and or actually has a husband who's a linguist. They've written books about this. Yes. They're yes. very very proficient. So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lay that aside for the moment because mm-hmm. a couple of things. One is uh, Facebook has pretty much given up on the kids space. It seems on the little kids space because many reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of possibility for abuse. Uh, lots of problems with that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I think one of the biggest challenges you have. Mm-hmm is uh, moderation because there is the potential for I think a massive business here, but it's gonna become, it could, it could become quickly overwhelmed by the need for moderation. Um, I think maybe AI machine learning will, will will solve part of the problem for you, but I want you to just give us your, your take on how you uh, deal with what I think might be one of the biggest issues you face?
1: 100%. Um, Before we go into the solutions, I'll just build on how important that is and how current market leaders in social media are just ignoring that problem, that they're so focused on what we can call the gateway. They're so focused in trying to make sure people who shouldn't be in there aren't in there. But we both know You can pretend to be anyone on the internet you can do all of the you know there's amazing technologies now where you can um, make people scan a photo id in order to prove who they you know they are who they say they are before they can access a platform There's nothing to stop you from scanning someone else's ID. There's nothing to stop you for or or, you know, oh, you've got to use a credit card so that we know you're an adult. Nothing to stop you from using someone else's credit card or a child pinching their parents' credit card, which obviously we do not want. So this focus on the gateway is such a cop-out really, because once you're in, they're allowing anything to happen. And even with some of the, you know, I I obviously closely monitor what Facebook and Instagram do. And even with some of these measures that they put in place, there's still obvious gaping holes. And also, it's not just about keeping safe in the in the mindset of, you know, oh, stopping kids from sharing personal information or stopping people from sending them, you know, things that they shouldn't be exposed to. There's also other things like we know that Instagram is incredibly damaging to young girls and their body image. And there's just zero focus on trying to stop that sort of thing from happening. So, um, you know, when we think about children, we're talking for our target group, it's six to 12 year olds, they're very, very young. You know, I think we can quite often forget because, you know, we're so used to children nowadays at seven years old, having a smartphone. We think they're more mature than they are. These are little, little kids. So we're, we're really focused on creating an experience that's very specialized and targeted for them. Now, moderation obviously then has to become a big part of that, and uh, in fact, someone on one of the pictures we did recently um, made a joke that it seemed a bit uh, what? Well, how do they how do they refer to it? Dystopian, I think, <laughs> so this moderation of every message. Um, but ultimately, you can't take shortcuts when it comes to child safety. And while there are efficiencies, so we do think there is a huge amount that we can do with machine learning and with AI to to automate some of this moderation and automate both what's allowed and what's not allowed. So obviously we have things in place at the moment that do both of those things, but the idea that we could use AI to actually start to learn what is okay to say and and be far more responsive than we could ever be just with our manual moderation. I think that's definitely going to help us with, you know, as we scale and grow. Um, but ultimately, in our current business model that we are fundraising for, um, human moderation is a cost built into that. So we know approximately how much it costs per user to to moderate, uh, to have a human moderator, uh, moderate all their messages. And that's just baked into our okay, model. So, so... You know, it's one of those things where you have to, we, we want to build a specific
0: I'm sorry, much. I have to stop you there and say, okay, what's the cost? It's baked into your model. Can you share that with us? What is the cost per subscriber for moderation? Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Give me one second whilst yeah. I go and actually was, locate that information. I don't have it off the top of my head. I was
0: going to, but, uh, but I did
1: have it. it. It's relatively minimal, and also, well, wait
0: a minute, wait a minute. I'm to, not. To, I, to, I don't want to wanna,
1: add one other thing as well. Currently,
0: model- forgive me, Sarah. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to rush Sorry, past no. that because um, I want you to specify what minimal might mm-hmm. be in this case. So take a minute. Go ahead and look. Um, I was. I almost prefaced my question by saying mm-hmm. you might not have an answer for this right this second, um, but you know the thought in my head was cost of moderation okay. per hundred thousand subscribers as an example. You know, or mm-hmm. or another way to put it would be how many moderators mm-hmm. do you need yeah. for a hundred thousand kids. So I leave it to you.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. So, well, firstly, I should add that our current moderation costs, um, our moderators are currently based in, um, I think, exclusively in the UK, come to think of it. So obviously the cost of moderation when we're hiring people in the UK is significantly higher than it would be if we were to outsource this. And this is our plan going forwards is to um, utilize Hiring people in markets where the, you know, the the cost per hour is not as significant as it is in the UK, um, because we do want to make sure we're paying people a living wage. And so our moderators, even though they can work from home, um, uh, we still we still pay them uh, well for their time, very competitively for their time. But this is something that, again, as we scale, we will be building teams in another country who can do that for us um, at scale. So I've just loaded up our model. Bear with me one second. So. Moderation costs per month we're looking at per user is um, a, just a few pence. I, I've got my whole my whole model is in uh, is in pounds <laughs> pounds and pence. So I'm not sure what that is in dollars. So let's see um, if we times that by a uh, hundred thousand. We're looking at um, about. Only about four thousand pounds per hundred thousand users per month. Okay, so,
0: so it's gonna, not it's
1: not insignificant. Yeah, I'm because gonna, also keep in mind that not every one of those users will be paying paying users.
0: Yeah, so um, let me let me move on from there. But I appreciate your sharing that with us, mm-hmm. um, and that will. I, I w- also want to point out that um, sure. uh, as we start the accelerator, we're putting little bridges on um, what I call the watch list now. This is not a recommendation to um, to buy, to invest, to do anything. Uh, I will never on this on this program recommend an investment. You have to do your own research. Uh, it's a risky business. Chances are anything you invest anywhere is going to be uh, might well be lost. That's up to you. This is so this the watch list is just exactly what it sounds like. We're going to watch Sarah Sarah White and Little Bridges because we think they're uh, a pretty pretty cool concept. And uh, uh, apparently the pitch judges agree. So um, I feel like I'm pretty early on this bandwagon, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I'm happy for that. But let me ask you the, the so a couple a of couple things I want to.
1: You, you were very much the first pitch event that we did. So it was uh, great to have you on board as one of our early. early yeah, times. I
0: think, you know, um, I think we, we talked about it. I said, you know, social media with a con- conscience. We talked about, you know, the idea of social learning, which I think is really powerful social learning um, with a soul, social learning with a conscience. So there's a lot there, a lot to chew into. And I think this this is going to certainly resonate with parents. Now, a couple things I like. One of the things um, I like is that you have multiple revenue sources, mm-hmm. um, that you have actually started, I think you have 200,000 in revenue this year. Uh, mm-hmm. two, that's pounds, right? 200,000 pounds in revenue this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need. Mean, I'm going to have to get a dollar yeah. pound translator very soon, but $200,000 in pounds. Um, and you've started and you have customers. So you've started both in, on the business side and also on the government side. So that's one thing I like. The other thing I like um, a lot is that you will not advertise to children. And I've shared with you that I once early in my career, Sarah, before you were born, probably, Uh, I interviewed a woman named uh, Peggy Charon uh, in Boston, who was the the only one literally in the world who was screaming about the negative impact of advertising on children. Um, And, and it was, you know, she was a voice in the wilderness. And I think the same issue is here, as you know, um, from your research and what you've done so far. So I like the fact that you're not advertising to children. I think that's a strong selling point. However, I also like the fact that you are advertising to parents because that does give you another revenue stream, and let's face it, parents are going to have a lot mm-hmm. to do with it. So, so um, I'll, I'll allow you, I'll let you take either one of those or both, uh, both in order, out of order. But uh, tell us the thought process behind the the multiple revenue streams.
1: Absolutely. So we'll start with the multiple revenue streams. Then I think we'll move on to advertising because we can carry on unpacking that for a long time. Um, So multiple revenue streams. Well, we see ourselves at the moment as tapping into two very large markets. So we've got the social media market, which is obviously Absolutely huge. Conservative estimates put the global social media market at somewhere in $200 billion, but I've also read up to $900 billion. So it's absolutely vast. And also the global ELL, um, that's English language learning market, which is going to grow to about $45 billion um, in the next few years. So the idea of diversifying our revenue streams really just gives us that ability to be very responsive to to where, where we're seeing the most growth. So while we do have long-term goals of becoming a market leader in social media for children um, and setting up revenue streams such as non-learning content and advertising to parents really enables us to tap into that market, we currently do have content ready to sell that we have already sold um, for the English language learning market. So it means we can immediately start generating revenues for significant revenues because obviously people are prepared to part with quite a reasonable amount of money for um, language learning content, which they see as adding a lot of value. Um, whilst we build our user base, build you know our user base in, with children who speak English as a second language across the globe. And then when we're ready to start launching and actually pushing our product and doing marketing in these English speaking territories, we'll already have um, you know, significant monthly recurring revenue, a significant user base for these other kids to slot into. So really diversifying our revenues just means we won't need to rely on forever English language learning. Um, Because who knows? I mean, it'd be wonderful if governments managed to get themselves into gear, find solutions that work for English language learning that mean we don't need to deliver that solution anymore. That would be that would be fantastic, because obviously more children would have access to English and that's what we want. But if we, we are then protected if we did want to cut off that whole revenue stream we could still do that and have our other business as well so really it's just about you know safeguarding future proofing our business um and also maximizing maximizing revenues but as you mentioned critically we don't want to advertise the children so this is a hard no for us um it means i'm sure there will be people who are listening who were listening and going oh that's an interesting business and then you don't advertise to kids i'm not interested you're leaving money on the table because other people will advertise to kids it's just it's a hard no for us you know our team um our, my co-founders have a background in teaching have a background in children's content um so you know lots of hands-on experience with kids and they just they just know that it just does not sit well with them ethically to do that now that being said advertising is a great way to generate revenues and crucially, children don't have bank accounts. So even if you did advertise to children, you're advertising to a middleman. Or woman. <laughs> you know, go go to the source, advertise to parents because it's a way less fr- It's a frictionless experience. Then you're advertising to the parent. Um, they can immediately click through, make their purchase. So it's to us, it's just cutting out the middleman. Um, and children shouldn't be salespeople. Children shouldn't be the middleman anyway so you know as far as we're concerned setting up this parent dashboard which is really the key part of our b2c model so we already have a a platform for teachers we have a platform for students and we're just finishing our platform for parents so this platform for parents will have um, data about their child's progress in the learning content and also information about their social activity on the platform. So it's great, it gives parents those eyes on what their kids are up to, which we know parents want. We're in the era of helicopter parenting, so give parents what they want. That's all free, that's all free to get. And crucially, we'll be pushing parents through sending them little nudges, sending them emails, sending them notifications to get them into that platform. And every time they log in, they're gonna see an ad. So it's, uh, yeah, we we love advertising. We think advertising is a great way to generate revenues. Um, it's just a hard, hard no for us to advertise to Well, children. good for
0: you. I, I, um, I would prefer to call helicopter parenting drone parenting because there can be, uh, there can be damage done <laughs> from, the, from the air. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I'm glad you've, you've taken that position. Um, so, Sarah, I also, I think this is um, mm-hmm. something we haven't talked about before. But one thing that it strikes me is, of course, we are in the world mm-hmm. of data. And we're, you are going to be in a position where you are going to be able to gather yeah. lots of data, yeah. if you want to, about little kids, uh, 6 to 12 years old in your target market. Now, this is inherently problematical. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that makes it even more significant yes. and of greater interest to marketers and advertisers and business is that there is a lot of, there is a lot of data, a lot of research that indicates people get their preferences... For products, they can get them very, very early. I, I'll, I'll give one example. I'm still using the same, same kind of shaving mm-hmm. cream that I first saw on television, probably in 1970. You know, <laughs> so they have had like a 50-year run of me shaving. Um, yeah. But but I think mm-hmm. um, but I think the important thing to to address here, Sarah, is whether a you're going to collect the data if you're not going to mm-hmm. then that's end of story mm-hmm. uh, B. if you are going to collect the data, what are the um, guardrails that you're going to put around mm-hmm.
1: it? Mm-hmm. They are great, great questions. And this is another area where I feel like we we're, were real, another area where we're, we're differentiated from traditional mainstream social media is our approach to this. So obviously, um, not all data collection and data usage is nefarious, right we um, we run a data driven platform and we we have um, things in our platform that are triggered by the things that kids have done and the data that we have about those children to make sure their experience is personalized and optimized for them, right? So, of course, we are constantly gathering data about our, about the children's um, use of the platform, their engagement, and we're using that and processing that and delivering an optimized experience for them. And we're also sharing some of that data with their parents. So. I think you know when we talk about data and data sharing it's all it's very easy to paint it all with a broad brush and go oh no data usage anywhere for anything but obviously that's not what we want we do want to use data in in a good and positive way um so that what that happens that goes on we're doing all of that when it comes to actually um essentially selling data that's really what we're talking about here is are we going to sell data to third parties who will use it for reasons that aren't to benefit that child in their social experience um, and in their learning experience on that platform and that is also a no for us. So we, I'm probably not the best person to speak about this. Our CTO is far more knowledgeable about the knowledgeable about the ins and outs of actually how that all works. And we have been having discussions about how do we set up this advertising in our platform for parents that is not going to also scoop up their child's information and send that on. So we want to be very careful to make sure that we're not, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that we're not blasting that, oh, we don't advertise to children. And yet meanwhile, we're selling your kids data that obviously doesn't sit very well with us either. So we're, we're making sure we're being very we're being very careful about how we are setting up those ads to make sure we are targeting parents without having to use their child's data to do so. I, I want to- So um, yes. So I think da- data is a far more nuanced conversation. Yeah, it's though,
0: com- I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. a complicated one, but I'm Sorry, glad you, I think you addressed it in an interesting way um, mm-hmm. and in a nuanced way. We're talking to Sarah White. She's a co-founder of Little Bridges, um, a social media and I guess ELL uh, learning language learning company based in the UK. She's coming to mm-hmm. us from uh, an undisclosed location in the south of France. Um, uh, we don't we don't want anyone showing up on her door. <laughs> but but um, I wanted you to also tell us a little bit about your co-founders and when the company started.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course, ah yes. Well, like all good startups, um, our startup started with a love story. Ah. Um, isn't that how all the best businesses start? I wish that was. I wish that, were, I wish <laughs> um, that were and my true. My CEO will kill me for saying yeah. that. <laughs> yes. Well, let's let's hope it remains a love story. Um, no, my my CEO will kill me. She's not a romantic at all. Um Well, my CEO Emma Rogers um, and co-founder. Uh, Her husband is a linguist and an author. And many, many years before Little Bridge, um, they were both teachers and then they both moved into content creation for children. So they wrote lots of children's books and Paul also wrote language courses. So he's a linguist, he would write language courses for children. In fact, he wrote the German course that I used at school because it's a very small world. Now I do not speak German, but that's not the fault of the textbooks. That's me being a terrible student. Um, anyway, so he they have this this shared experience of writing these books together, writing these this children's content, and um, then they had a family. Now, Emma noticed that her children were obsessed with video games, like every other child in the world. And she thought, I've got an idea. How about we write these language courses but do it in a, in a way that's like a video game. Because at the time, gamification wasn't a thing. This was so long ago, it was on CD-ROM. And I mean, so long ago that when they would write these textbooks, the publishers would go, oh, you don't need to, you don't need to make those in color. You might as well have them in black and white because they're only for children. You know That's how long ago this was and how innovative it was to have the idea of a gamified platform for learning a language. So they went with what they knew and they went and they made a French course and a German course. They were called Petit Pont and Brücken, and for those of you who are bilingual you'll know that means Little Bridge in French and in German. So they launched that to schools in the UK and it was a wild success. As you can imagine schools had not seen anything like it and it was it was used in, I can't remember the percentage but of Significant percentage of UK primary schools adopted either Petit Pont or Pine Um, Fast forward a little bit. So now they've moved their family to France. And there's a theme we all love France in this company. Um, so they move their family to France and they realize their children are very popular with the French parents. And they're very popular because their children obviously speak English, they're native English speakers and all the French parents wanted their French children to be friends with native English speakers because they know that while they are learning English at school, that's not going to be enough. We've already talked about how that's a problem, how traditional uh, learning methodologies don't give you that desire to learn. So they knew that if their French kids had English-speaking friends, they would learn English, and that would be a fantastic asset for them as they grew older. So Emma, ever the shrewd businesswoman, noticed this and thought, hang on a minute. Firstly, we're missing out on a trick because while there's plenty of kids in the UK that need to learn French and German, there's many more kids that need to learn English. And on top of that, we're missing out a trick on social learning. Because if we can tap into this desire to learn English, to make friends, we'll we'll be laughing. So that's when we pivoted. So I actually met Emma back in the Petit Pont days, um, as did our CEO, uh, sorry, our CTO, uh, Nigel, who's also a co-founder. So we then transitioned the company to become a social learning company, as you say, um, and focused on English. And that's how Little Bridge was was born. We spent the first few years, developing, doing research and development. We did a research project with UCL looking into the methodology and why it is that learning um, learning language skills and then actually using them in a social environment help you to learn quicker. It's all to do with deep processing, it's very interesting. Um, and uh, from there we did a fast seed round um, we got some pretty exciting names in there. Even uh, Biz Stone of Twitter fame oh. um invested in our pre seed round, that is. Um, and we used that money to build our platform. And here we are today. Well,
0: good for you. I would point out that um I've I've read Biz Stone's book and uh and oh, he yeah. actually there's a bit of a love story in it. He he I don't know that he oh. I know I, I don't know that he could have done what he did without the support of the woman that he ultimately married so mm. so Sarah what about you mm-hmm. tell us uh, uh, and, and forgive me I think I've been referring to the company as little bridges it's little bridge um, Sarah Sarah uh, yes. um, tell us about you what's your origin story how did you get here?
1: okay well we didn't really touch upon this in our last course this is new <laughs> this is a lot of new information for you so I I have a background in um, I, have a, I have a very unusual background uh, when it comes to, when it comes to education. So I actually left school at 16. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, so I guess you could say my origin story is kind of similar to that of Bill Gates. And, <laughs> well, wait a, uh, wait a minute, wait
0: a minute. He, he was a sophomore <laughs> at Harvard when he left.
1: <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't well, bring that up. Yeah. Let's not
0: get ahead of ourselves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, but essentially, where, where, where that experience does lend itself quite nicely to what we're doing now is the idea of creating educational experiences that really do work for individuals. Because the school environment isn't the best place for everyone to learn. And I was a very smart kid. I went to what we call a grammar school. You don't have those, I don't think, in America. It's a school where, well, you probably have them. I just don't know what they're called. Um, they're schools where you have to do a test to get in. You don't need to be rich. You just have to be clever. Um, And in the UK, they're very unpopular because it's seen as very elitist, despite the fact we have private schools and nobody minds about that. Anyway, point being, despite all of those things, school is just not always the best environment to nurture um, individuals who learn differently and who who need a different approach. So I then went and I've done every job you can imagine under the sun including lots of freelance endeavors in my teenage years. And one of those endeavors was um, along with doing design, I've always done design as the undercurrent of every, every other project I've done. I've always been doing design in some way. And I then was doing freelance um, singing and voiceover, <laughs> which, um, which has stopped now. Um, I'm not that great a singer, but I, what I lack in skill, I make up for with enthusiasm. And uh, that's strangely how I wound up finding the Emma's um, previous company with Petit Pond and Kleinbrocken is they needed someone to do some voiceover in English for various things and to sing a few English songs. And... I joined that way. I, I first got to know the company through doing that. And I thought the product was really cool. Um, and I just went to the, I went, they used to go to that old office. I didn't have like a like an official job at first. I was just there trying to keep myself busy. And I've got one of those minds where whenever I see something that could be done better, I will just get in and do that and just find a way to make myself use, as useful as possible, find a way to bring as much value to any situation. Mm-hmm. So I ended up joining the QA team and then I was quietly in the evenings redesigning the website and I would just come in and say, Emma, I've I redesigned the website, how about that? And so just, I did, every, I did account management, I did customer mm-hmm. service, anywhere that I could see Oh, there's something I could do here. It didn't matter like about being, you know, what job title or payment or things like that. I wasn't ego driven. I was purely value and results driven. And eventually after a few years, I'd got myself up to being um, one of the top designers just by consistently finding places where improvements could be made (laughs) and making myself available to do them. So naturally when, and I, I never thought about, it's odd because I never thought about that previous business as being a startup I didn't have any understanding of like the wider world of being a founder or being a startup because as far as I was concerned that was a fully formed company when I joined right and so when Emma announced I'm starting a new company and would you like to come I you know it was a whole new world that opened up but it turns out that it's exactly the kind of person that you need in a startup is somebody who doesn't mind what hat they're going to wear, who's happy to wear all the different hats, do all the different mm. jobs and just find ways to add value. And that's um, it's kind of how, yeah, it's kind of how it all began. So from leaving school at 16 to working in an education company, it doesn't seem, I imagine my teachers will probably, if they knew me now, would be like, how, how did Sarah, <laughs> how did how did
0: Sarah get there? No, I think that's that's exactly. pretty cool, actually. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that you're, Willingness to do what what in America, maybe in Britain, too, we call the dirty work uh, goes mm. a long way to to ex, explaining how now you're exactly. you know a founder of a pretty, pretty interesting company. Now, let me ask before mm-hmm. we go, let me ask um, what your uh, valuation is, what's your what's your funding, you know, how much funding you're going to be looking for and you are looking for. And also, you mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, next steps.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so current valuation, we have um, at nine million pounds, which I think is $12 million. But if you're listening, do, do check that, do have a Google of that. Um, our previous raise was done at 6.5 million. Um, That valuation is based on all sorts of things, obviously, at the stage where revenue is only one of the contributing factors to that. And I'll be very happy to talk in due diligence with anyone who wants to discuss that. And what was your next question, the next steps?
0: Yeah, um, um, well, I also should ask what you're going to, Mm -hmm. if you raise the half a million to a million pounds, which is a -hmm. a small seed round, what will you use the money for? Right now, you're six full-time, six part-time, six contract employees. So. Okay, let's say somebody writes you a check for a million pounds. What happens the next day?
1: Mm-hmm. Big celebration. <laughs> no, that's that's, not, that's, you're, you're that's okay. the night before. <laughs> 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 that's true. That's true. Um, so after, after recovering from that, um, so firstly, um, we're, we're aiming to, to spend it on two, two key areas. So we're looking at investing in product-led growth, optimizing our product for product-led growth and also marketing. So we're blessed. We have not had to do any paid marketing <laughs> to get our product in the hands of governments and the hands of schools around the world. So, which is fantastic, but also, you know, now it's a it's a new thing for us. We're currently in discussions with various agencies. We're also looking to build out our in-house team. We love to do things in-house whenever we can. So build out our in-house team of um, of growth marketers. Uh, So, but we wanna also focus on product-led growth because obviously if you can do product-led growth, that's evergreen, Um, you you pay for it once and it keeps on delivering. So we've got all sorts of plans for that, including incentivized referrals, um, putting in various hooks to keep people coming back. And obviously one of our revenue streams being advertising Putting those hooks and notifications to get eyes on the screens—it's very, very important to us. Um, and then, obviously, also digital marketing. So that's where we're already in those mm-hmm. early stage discussions. Um, and we've got very specific targets. Our model is built on very specific targets around customer acquisition cost and uh, our expected engagement and retention. So as soon as we start that, we're going to be—we're we're partnering with a very, um, aim to partner with a very target-focused. A digital marketing agency to help us reach those goals. So the combination of those two things, hopefully, we think will result in that um, hockey stick growth that everybody wants to see. And um, we, we, um, we think we can do it. The model is uh, the model is built on some ambitious targets, but ultimately, um, we are very confident about our ability to deliver. Well, don't it.
0: forget your your uh, your line item for moderation, moderators, because mm. I, I still think that's you know the problem the great thing about this business is it's a massive market. It's under, it's not only underserved, Mm -hmm. it's pretty much unserved, but, um, Mm -hmm. the problem, you know, the, 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 the challenge as I see it is that if you have one slip up, it could really torpedo you if it's bad enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it becomes known. So, and it's almost, and it's almost, I don't see how you do this without having something go wrong. So uh, and that's even if you're brilliant and do everything perfectly, it's Mm -hmm. it's still I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg's a pretty smart guy and a lot has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So. So anyhow, I I, but I think it's a it's a it's a super interesting um, startup. Um, Sarah and Little Bridge is on our I think you're the first or second, maybe the first member of our watch list. Uh, so we're, we're going to try to do our best to keep an eye on you. And, um, you know, we're fans of entrepreneurs on this program. We're a fan of yours. We, we want you to succeed and, uh, we absolutely wish you the best.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and I hope we can continue this discussion again in the very near future. I have a feeling
0: this isn't the last of it, Sarah, but thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And have a very.